Now, Imam Bukhari, let's look at his early education. We see that by the time that Imam Bukhari was 10 years old, he had memorized the Qur'an, mastered the Arabic language, and he had already begun memorizing hadith. Memorizing hadith. We learned that Muhammad bin Hatim, he said, I asked Bukhari, how were you at the beginning? Meaning, were you always this studious? Like, were you always interested in learning? Were you always interested in studying hadith? Like, when did this start? How were you as a child? So Imam Bukhari said that I was inspired the love and the eagerness of memorizing hadith when I was still in the maktab, meaning when I was still in the school. So I started memorizing hadith when I was still in the maktab. He said, how old were you then? And he said, 10 or less. He's not even 10 years old and he's already memorizing. What is he memorizing? Hadith. And we learned that by the age 16, Imam Bukhari had memorized at least 70,000 narrations. I'm sure we haven't even read 70,000 narrations in our lives. Imam Bukhari had memorized 70,000 narrations. And he hadn't just memorized those narrations, he knew the details of the narrators also. So you know when, when you did your homework and you read the hadith text, there was at least two, three lines of haddathana so and so, right? The names of the people. So Imam Bukhari knew the details of those people also. Who they were, where they were from. So you know how we did this analysis of Imam Bukhari's name? His lineage, his, you know, which city he was from. He knew these details and more about every single narrator. Our children know details about who? About who typically? Hmm? Even the Prophet wasallam's lineage is something that we don't know. We know that yes, he was from the Quraysh tribe, but that's all. We know maybe the name of his father and grandfather and uncle and that's it. But what about the rest of the story? We don't know much about it. But we do know details of who? Basketball players, right? Honestly, I cannot understand. What does it matter if they were in that team last year and now they've been drafted into another one and now they're making a contract with someone else? I mean, fine. But how can you remember all that history? And you know how they show sometimes that, or you know when they're talking on TV, all the major facts are mentioned. These many goals, these many games, these many this. All the major, major facts are mentioned. People know them. Why? It's a matter of interest. Isn't it? It's a matter of interest. And those who take interest in this, they don't have to sit and memorize. Oh, this person, he's from that city. He's actually from that country, but he plays for this team and he used to play for that team before. And he may go into that team. And if he goes into that team, that'll be awesome. Right? They don't sit and memorize all these details. It comes to them how? Naturally. Doesn't it? Very naturally. Imam Bukhari knew the details of the narrators of the hadith. And how old is he at this time? 16. And he knew so much that when he would go to a gathering of hadith, you know, a major hadith scholar is sitting and he's teaching hadith, Imam Bukhari would walk in and he'd sit down, and that muhaddis, that great scholar, would become a little nervous. That he's here. He's gonna know my mistakes. Right? Or he's gonna correct me. In fact, we learn that Imam Bukhari was only 11 years old 
when he was sitting in a gathering of hadith, where a teacher was teaching hadith to his students. So as he was narrating, and by the way, that teacher did not have a physical copy in front of him. He's teaching from what? From his memory. Because at that time it was an insult that a person has to keep a book in front of them. Okay? So they would rely only on their memory. So this great scholar is teaching and he made a mistake. And Imam Bukhari as an 11-year-old child pointed that out. And that scholar, he was like, what are you talking about, child? Right? What, what do you know? Imam Bukhari insisted that no, this is not like this, it is like that. He insisted. So that muhaddis, to prove Imam Bukhari wrong, he said, okay, I'll just get my manuscript. And he went and got it, and lo and behold, Imam Bukhari was right. Imam Bukhari was right. And how old is he? 11 years old at this time. And we see that he mastered this, the science of knowing the hadith narrators. He knew their details so well that at the age of 18, he compiled his first book. And this book was about the hadith narrators. It's actually there today also nine volumes. Nine thick volumes without English translation. Okay? Nine thick volumes. And it's known as Ilmur Rijal. The science of Ar-Rijal, the men meaning the people who narrated hadith. So all their biographies, their names, their teachers, their travels, dates, all such details were documented. And Imam Bukhari put this together when he was how old? Eighteen. Honestly, when you learn about these scholars, like you feel like such a loser. What do I know? What have I done? Nothing. So by 18, he wrote his first book. Just a few stories I'd like to share with you about how people would become nervous around Imam Bukhari. We learned that Abu Jafar said, I was with Muhammad bin Salam. Muhammad bin Salam was a great Hadith scholar. He said, I was with him when Muhammad bin Ismail, meaning Imam Bukhari, walked in. And when he came, he said, and after some time when he left, Muhammad bin Salam said, whenever this child comes to me, I remain fearful until he leaves. I'm scared, man. As long as he's with me, I'm nervous. When he goes, then I relax. And when Imam Bukhari would go to Sulaiman bin Harb, another hadith scholar, Sulaiman bin Harb, he would say, tell us the mistakes of so-and-so. Meaning, tell me about this. So he would ask him questions. Now imagine, hadith scholars are asking Imam Bukhari questions when he's still a child. We learned that Fath bin Nuh, he said, I went to Ali ibn al-Madini, also a great scholar, and I saw that Muhammad bin Ismail was sitting right next to him. So this hadith scholar is teaching, and while he's teaching, who's right next to him? Imam Bukhari. And he's still a young student at this point. And whenever Ali ibn al-Madini would narrate hadith, he would look at Imam Bukhari. Why would he look at him? To get this assurance that I said it right, right? That's how it is, right? Correct me if I'm wrong. Imagine, a teacher is looking at his student to make sure that he's not making any mistakes. Imam Bukhari said that I went to Imam Humaydi, another great scholar. He said, I went to him when I was only 18. 
And when I walked in, there was a discussion taking place about some narrations. And that discussion soon turned into a debate, into an argument. And Imam Humaydi, he said to me, you decide. You tell us what the answer is, what the truth is. So when there was a discussion, a dispute, they referred to who? Imam Bukhari, who was still a student at this time. Imam Bukhari traveled a great deal. I will show you the map of how he traveled. I mentioned to you earlier that he was only 16 when he went for Hajj, and after that, he never returned home. We learned that he spent a decade in Hijaz. What is Hijaz? Basically Saudi Arabia. Okay? That area, around that area. Okay? So he spent at least a decade in Hijaz, which means that he didn't just stay in Mecca, he didn't just stay in Medina, but he was constantly on the go, going from one scholar to the other, to the other, to the other. A decade he was there. He went to Baghdad. Where is Baghdad? Iraq. He went to Baghdad at least eight times. He didn't sit on the plane and go to Baghdad. Okay? He traveled for weeks in order to reach Baghdad. And in his life, he went at least eight times. And in Baghdad, you know who used to live at that time? Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal. Have you heard of the name Imam Ahmad? Hmm? Musnad Ahmad? It's a major hadith book, hadith collection. So Imam Ahmad bin Hanbal, he was in Baghdad at the time. Now, Imam Ahmad, he was in his 60s or 70s. He was old. And Imam Bukhari at this time was in his 20s. So see the age gap? Right? And Imam Bukhari, every time he'd go there, he would spend his time with Imam Ahmad. And I mentioned to you earlier, Imam Ahmad would tell him, he would try to convince him to stay in Baghdad. But Imam Ahmad, he said about Imam Bukhari, that I have never seen anyone from the province of Khurasan, someone like Muhammad bin Ismail. I've never seen anyone like Muhammad bin Ismail. He's unique. He's amazing. He's so different. And we see Imam Bukhari, he traveled to various cities and he studied in all the cities of Khurasan and Iraq. So Khurasan, all the major cities over there. Iraq, all the major cities over there. He studied in all those major cities. He didn't say, okay, I'm going to Medina, so why bother going to Mecca? Right? It's like if a person goes to one university, they say, why should I bother going to another one? No. He went from one to the other to the other. He went to Asham, Misr, which is Egypt, Baghdad, many times. You see, three major cities of Iraq, Basra, Kufa, Baghdad, Egypt and Syria. And I'm going to show you on the map how far apart these places are. Imam Bukhari said, I visited Asham and Egypt and the Arabian Peninsula twice. And I visited Basra four times. So he's describing his travels in his own words. Now, you look at this map. Where is Bukhara? All the way there. Right? And look at where Baghdad is. Look at where Basra is. And look at where Asham is. Look at where Damascus is. Look at where Egypt is. And look at where Mecca is, Medina is. This is how much he traveled. And not just once, many times, over and over, over and over, visited these places again and again in order to learn hadith. 
This is how Imam Bukhari had more than a thousand teachers. A thousand teachers. And at this point, Imam Bukhari is still very young by the way. Imagine if at 18 he's compiling a book. What does that mean? He's traveled a great deal and he has learned a great deal. He has studied a great deal. How did he learn so much? How? What were his study habits? He was very focused. He did not really socialize much. He would isolate himself so that he could learn and study and memorize. And for many years he did hajj every year. He did not compromise on his worship. Imam Bukhari said that after hajj I remained in Medina for an entire year. And I separated myself from people. For an entire year, he's in the city of Medina. And what is he doing? Socializing, going to somebody's house today, and somebody else's house another day, and then going to another event there. Is that how he spent his time? No. He isolated himself. He did not socialize much. And he spent his time studying, learning, memorizing, writing, reflecting. He said, I remained in Basra for five years. So at one point in his life, he lived in Basra and he stayed there for five years. And in those five years, I would go for Hajj every year. See the map again, by the way? Where is Basra? Right under Baghdad. Basra. Basra to Makkah. Every year, five years in a row for Hajj. What happens to us is if we have to travel somewhere, right? And that is just taking a flight. We start worrying about it three months in advance. Right? Or five months in advance. I have to go to Pakistan in the summer, you know. So, I better start shopping. I better start packing. And then what happens? Before going, we're worried about going. And then while we're gone, we say, Oh, I'm just having a break, you know. I deserve a break. I'm so busy. And then when we come back, we say, I'm so tired from the trip, I deserve to rest. And there goes the whole year. Imam Bukhari is traveling constantly. And what is he doing as he's traveling? He's learning, he's teaching, he's writing. Never taking a break. As-sa'ihun, those who travel. When he traveled, he learned from every great teacher that he could find. Imam Bukhari said, I wrote down from more than 1,000 teachers. I took notes from who? More than 1,000 teachers. But what do we do typically? Limit ourselves to one teacher. I only like to hear lectures by this one person. I don't enjoy other speakers, you know. It's like, really? Was it something that you were supposed to enjoy only? Learning is for what? You know, you learn from whoever that can offer you knowledge. Whether, you know, they sound boring or they sound very funny, if they have some khair to offer, let's take it. When it comes to hajj, you know, it's a once in a lifetime thing. We say, okay, I'm gonna do hajj next year, and when we do hajj, we're like, okay, I'm done. And Imam Bukhari did it five years in a row. Imagine. So he said, I wrote down from more than 1,000 teachers, and I remember the chain of every hadith that I have with me. He memorized every chain of the narrators that he took. 
The fact is that Imam Bukhari learned from more than 1,000 teachers. Okay? How many they are, only Allah knows. But every major teacher that he could find, Imam Bukhari went to him. And he sat with him and he learned from him. And of the most famous of his teachers, we see are Imam Ahmad, Imam Ahmad bin Hanbal, right? Also, Ishaq bin Rahweh. I want you to write this name down. Ishaq bin Rahweh. Yes. You see the first name? Ishaq bin Rahweh. He was one of his major teachers. In fact, he is the one who gave Imam Bukhari the idea to compile a book of authentic narrations. And we also have amongst his great teachers, Ali ibn Madini, Yahya ibn Ma'in. And he also benefited from many other teachers. One thing that is unique is that all his teachers were hadith scholars. Scholars, meaning people who had knowledge of hadith, understanding of hadith. And they were at a position that they would teach hadith. Students would travel and come to them and remain with them in order to study hadith. So he benefited from not just one or two teachers like that, but more than a thousand. Imam Bukhari had remarkable memory. Before we continue, would you like to say something? Any reflection? Any question? Yes. I was just thinking about um, his memory about the chains. Mm -hmm. And I was just wondering, you know, like I was just... uh, to our life, if somebody says, oh, I did the weekend course at Al-Huda and my teacher was so-and-so, other than if she named the wrong, we would know right away, oh, no, we know for sure, Sister Temya was the teacher for that course, you would be wrong for that. So that kind of surety he has, that's how he was correcting the people, even his, his teachers, because, you know, like who is the teacher of that person? Yes. And many times, the sad thing is that many times we will listen to or benefit from a teacher for many years. Right? We've been listening to their lectures or, or reading their books. We don't even know their full name. Like for example, if I were to ask you, have you read the book When the Moon Split? The Sira book When the Moon Split? Have you read it? No? Have you seen it? Heard of it? Okay. Many of you had. But if I were to ask you, tell me the full name of the author. Pardon? Only one person knows the name. This is sad, right? That we read books, you know, we we study them, we take notes and we reference them, but the authors we don't even know about. But if you think about it in the academic world, if you're quoting from an article or a book, how do you do that? How do you do that? If let's say three people, you know, did a study and their names are there, can you just take the name of one of them and just put their name? No, you have to mention all of them. There are ways of mentioning all of them. Give credit to those who deserve it. Know them, identify them, realize who they are. They contributed to this. So Imam Bukhari knew the details of the narrators of the hadith all the way up to the time of the Sahaba. Anything else? Yes, go ahead. I remember someone talking about how Imam Bukhari's mother was a single mother, and we don't even know her name. Yeah. And all of the legacy of Imam Bukhari, she's getting rewarded for that as well. Yeah. She was a single mother, right? A widow. 
And she had sons to raise. Imam Bukhari was not her only son. He had an older brother also. But look at what she produced. Because many times, you know, as women we think, oh, I, I can't teach my son because, you know, his father is not interested. His father doesn't take it seriously. It's the father's responsibility. And Ibn Qayyim also said that it's the father who teaches the son. So, I'm not supposed to. It's not my responsibility. But look at what Imam Bukhari's mother did. Assalamu alaikum. I was thinking about his father, mashallah. He searched for dunya and akhirah. He didn't just search for dunya. Mashallah, Allah make his son muslih. Yes. And this is so important. You know, we should, we should also remember this. That many times we are in a position where we have to, let's say, work or work full time or, or pursue a, a certain career for whatever reason. But even when we are seeking the dunya, let us also pick the fruits of this deen. There's so many opportunities out there. You know, if you're in school, working full time, alhamdulillah, there's weekend programs, there's evening programs, there's, you know, every few months courses are offered. Why can we not benefit from them? Somebody else? Go ahead. I wanted to say that as a Imam Mukhai's mother, you know, she sacrificed a lot. I mean, leaving her son at the age of 16 years old in Mecca and, you know, and never seeing him again is a you know, great sacrifice. And you know, we want our children to learn the deen. We want them to be educated. But at the same time, you know, we, we should sacrifice for that too. We should make sacrifices. Yes. Because it must have been hard on Imam Bukhari, but would have been harder for the mother. Because she raised her son alone. Right? She cried for him in the nights that he could get his vision back. Now that he's 16, he's going to be living away from her. Imagine how difficult that must be for the mother. But she also made that sacrifice. You know, we talk about this a lot. We need scholars, we need this, we need that. But they're not just going to pop out from nowhere. They need the support of the community. Yes, who else? I was thinking most of the time parents, they push our kids, right? That we have to go over there. But look at at the age of 16, he said to his mother that I want to stay here. And why do you think he did that? Because he was in the company of scholars. He has a hunger to study, right? Yes. From a young age, he was exposed to this. Under 10, he went to the gatherings of hadith. And we think children should not be allowed in hadith class. Go ahead. When... Imam Bukhari was like writing his book and stuff. Did he ever like hear any news from his mom or did she ever hear any news from him? We don't know about his family life much, right? However, we know that he didn't just stay in one place. He traveled a lot and he in fact did go back to Khurasan later, all right? But we don't know more details about his family. Assalamu alaikum. I was just thinking about the socialization aspect. That when you're focused and you have an aim, you have a goal, and you want to achieve it, where there is a will, there is a way. And Imam Bukhari did it. And today I was thinking that, yes, it is good to be in contact with uh, your relatives, your friends, uh, if they are having some problem or not, in what situation they are uh, living in. So we should be in contact with them. But at the same time, we spend so much time in socialization, energy and time both. And even for smaller things, like I even experience myself that I want to recite Quran or I want to listen to my lecture. And then I think, okay, let's check my message. Let's check my WhatsApp. And in that way, we spend, I mean, 
children 10-15 or uh, minutes or half an hour in the, that activity. So it, it's better to spend your time more productively and more constructively yes. instead of wasting it in socialization too much. Thank yes. you. Jazakallah khairan. Anybody else? I was just thinking how these people paid so much attention to their names, but we don't sometimes know the meanings of our names, or we don't even care if someone pronounces our names incorrectly. Or we don't even know why our family you know, has a particular surname. What does that mean? Why do we have this family name? No idea. We don't know our own lineage. Go ahead. Assalamualaikum. I was just asking, um, there are thousand scholars. I was curious, was there a female scholar that was uh, that he learned under? Good question. Inshallah, I will look into that. I will, inshallah. There's a book by Dr. Akram Al-Nadwi, Muhaddithat, female hadith teachers or hadith narrators. And in that he talks about the different women hadith scholars over the centuries in our tradition. Go ahead. Uh, it seemed like uh, his mother has put him in that kind of discipline in a younger age, that he has learned to manage the time. And even like in university now, people learn or in high school how to record things and how to... And he has done that science in such a younger age that he has learned to live on his own, mm-hmm. uh, manage the time, and... Um, uh, like the way things are recorded at this time, yes. with all the technology, he has learned to do it at that time. Yes. So he, I think any teacher he went, he absorbed everything. Yes. Before 10, he has learned a different language also. Right? You see, children, whatever we expose them to, whatever we show them that this is important, that is what they will naturally incline to. Isn't it? How many of you used your mom's makeup when you were like five years old and ruined it, destroyed it. I'm sure everyone has a story. Makeup, shoes, high heels, clothes, jewelry, isn't it? Why? Why? Because that's what we saw every day or every other day. That the special stuff comes out, all the colors come out, and then they get put away. Oh, I wish I could have access to that. Right? Why? Because that's that's what we saw. That's what we what we were interested in. So whatever they see at a young age, that is what they will develop their interest in. Go ahead. I was just thinking, Imam Bukhari is such a good example of what can be accomplished when you're dedicated because he wasn't born with anything like extra special about him. Mashallah, he had good memory, had good teachers and things like that, but we have even more than that. You know, we have more knowledge today. We have encyclopedias and people who've discovered so much more. And if we put that even a, a fraction of the effort and the dedication that he put in into something we're interested in, anybody can accomplish something yes. great. Very true. Yes. Bismillah. I remember when my daughter was small, she used to like my hijabs. She take it from the closet. She said, I want to be princess like you, mommy. So she liked hijab just like that. Exactly. Naturally. I mean, children, they start cooking also, shoveling the snow, because that's what they see. I remember I asked, you know, one girl was telling that when I grow up, I want to be a mommy. But why does she want to be a mommy? Because that's what she has seen. Right? Go ahead. Assalamu alaikum. Many times there's many classes going on, many lectures coming on in the same city where we live, but we don't bother to attend them because, oh, I already take the class, I already know about that. But Imam Bukhari said, writing from more than thousand 
teacher or scholars. Yes. And almost the same things here, like a hadith. They never say it's tiring or boring, but we don't want to leave our comfortable zone and yes. say, oh, I know them. Yes. And when it's time coming, we don't even know the name. And even when it comes to, you know, listening to different lectures or something, I mean, we don't even have to necessarily go to a different city in order to learn from that scholar because every day that the scholar teaches a class, it's uploaded online. All you have to do is just subscribe. And as soon as the next video comes or the next podcast comes, you can just listen. Right? There's so much we can learn. Go ahead. I have a question. Mm-hmm. Why did Imam Bukhari not socialize with other people? He did socialize with other people, but he didn't do it too much. Because to him, learning was more important. And everybody has only 24 hours in a day. Right? So if you spend time just hanging out with people, chilling with your friends, or playing one thing after the other, then you'll have less time to study. Right? And he wanted to study more because he wanted to make a difference in the world. Right? And Imam Bukhari said about his collection that I have prepared this as an argument for myself. Because on the day of judgment, Allah is going to ask us, right? What did you do with your wealth and your youth? Isn't it? We're going to be asked about these things. So Imam Bukhari said, I have made this book as an argument for myself. I mean, this is what I will show inshallah. All right, let's continue. We have a few minutes left, so I want to do a little bit more, inshallah. Imam Bukhari's remarkable memory. He had very sharp memory, and he made use of it. Right? There are people who have sharp memory, but they make the wrong use of it. Imam Bukhari made good use of it. We learned that Imam Bukhari never used a manuscript to teach from. So he never really had a piece of paper in front of him. Never. He would teach from what? His memory. And at one occasion, he memorized 15,000 ahadith in just 16 days. In 16 days, he memorized how many ahadith? 15,000. According to Ibn Kathir, Imam Bukhari could just look at a book once and memorize its contents. So he just had to basically look, flip the pages, you know, read, 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 and he knew it. You know why? Because he didn't fill his mind with junk. The brother asked just now, why didn't he socialize much? Right? Because when we socialize a lot with people, you know, our memory is occupied, is filled. Filled with what? Unnecessary details. He said this, she said that. She said this loudly and he said this while he was sitting and he was looking that way and he was wearing this and she was eating that and all these details will will crowd our memory. It It, it will crowd our mind. So Imam Bukhari memorized 15,000 ahadith in just 16 days. And there are so many stories of his memory tests because, you know, this was a big deal. It became very famous that there is a man, Muhammad bin Ismail, his memory is so sharp, he looks at something once and, you know, he knows it and you can ask him about any hadith, any chain and he will tell you this and this and this. So people began to doubt this, that this is just a hype. Right? You know, for example, you hear about certain people or they're so famous, everybody listens to them, you're like, oh, it's all a hype. They're not really a scholar. They don't really know much. And sometimes we fall into that propaganda. It's just a hype. It's just a hype. But then when we listen ourselves, we see how much khayr they have to offer. Right? So Imam Bukhari, people thought, you know, this is all a hype. So once he was 
There is a story that once he visited Baghdad and he was in his 30s at that time. Not very old, just in his 30s. And what happened is that the scholars of Baghdad, they thought, okay, let's put him to test. Let's see if he really knows or is it all just hype. Okay? So what happened that many great scholars, they got together in the grand masjid of the city of Baghdad. And what happened, each of them, there were 10 of them, so each hadith scholar narrated 10 ahadith. Okay? So scholar number one, Imam Bukhari is sitting over there, right? He narrates one hadith. He asks Imam Bukhari, have you heard of this hadith? Imam Bukhari says, no. He narrates the second hadith. Have you heard of this hadith? Imam Bukhari says, no. And remember, this is a grand masjid. Imagine how many people are there. And so the first scholar narrated 10 ahadith. And Imam Bukhari said to each and every hadith, no, I haven't heard any of them. So now people are thinking he is ignorant. He doesn't know anything. But what was going on was that they were mixing up the chains with the texts. Remember chain of narration? Right? So-and-so heard from so-and-so who took hadith from so-and-so who took hadith from so-and-so. So they took the chain of one narration and they connected it with a different text. So basically they jumbled it up. Now if, if Imam Bukhari said, yes, I've heard of it, it was not actually a hadith. It was not actually a correct narration. Right? So he would be exposed. So for every single one of them, Imam Bukhari said, no. Now what happened? The second scholar started narrating 10 ahadith. All of them, Imam Bukhari said, no. 10 scholars narrated 10 ahadith each. All those narrations were jumbled up. Okay? And Imam Bukhari said, no. None of these are ahadith. Now the people are wondering, come on. These major scholars have narrated 10 ahadith each. They couldn't be wrong. And Bukhari, he doesn't know anything. Okay? But you know what Imam Bukhari did? The amazing thing he did is that he said to the first one, you narrated this first narration, it's actually not like this, it is like that. He corrected him. Then he corrected the second hadith, and the third hadith, and the fourth hadith, and the fifth one, and the sixth one, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth. And he did this for all ten scholars. So he corrected a hundred narrations. The amazing thing over here is not that he knew the correct versions, but the fact that he remembered those 100 false versions that were presented to him at that time, and he corrected them. This is how remarkable his memory was. Imam Bukhari didn't just know authentic hadith. He also knew the false narrations. He also knew the false ones. He said at one point that I know 100,000 authentic narrations and 200,000 false narrations. Because you have to know the wrong also in order to identify it. You don't just know the right version, you also have to know the wrong that is out there. So there is many stories about Imam Bukhari's memory tests. And many scholars, they considered his memory to be inhuman. Like they said, he's not a human. There's something different over here. Imam Bukhari had many great students also. Have you heard of Sahih Muslim? Hmm? Have you heard of At-Tirmidhi? Have you heard of An-Nasai? Hmm? Imam Muslim, he compiled a collection 
of hadith. Alright? We see Imam Tirmidhi also, he put together his collection. Imam Nasa'i also put together his collection. And these three are actually part of the six authentic collections. Remember I mentioned to you, there are six authentic, they're known as the Sihah Sitta. Sihah is the plural of Sahih. So the authentic ones, which ones? The six ones. So imagine three of them are who? Imam Bukhari's students. And the fourth one is Imam Bukhari himself. So four out of six, the credit goes to who? To who? Imam Bukhari. And we learned that in his lifetime, Imam Bukhari taught his own book to at least 90,000 students. So once he compiled his book, he started traveling in order to seek more, but others would come to him. So he started teaching hadith. And he taught his book to how many students? 90,000 at least. It is said that 20,000 people sometimes would come together in order to learn from him. You know, we hear about a conference, 20,000 people were present at that conference. Wow! It's the event of the year. Imam Bukhari's classes were such that 20,000 people would come at a time. And of course, everybody was not able to hear him. They were not able to hear him at the same time. There were no microphones. Right? So typically at that time, what would be done is that the teacher would speak and then, you know like how in a large gathering, if people are praying together, the imam says, Allahu Akbar, and then there's people behind him who say, Allahu Akbar. Right? Or they would have to wait until they would have a turn. Imagine how many people came to him to learn. Then we learn that, also remember that, you learn about a scholar by looking at his books and by looking at his students. What books did he write? And who were his students? Imam Bukhari produced the best books and he produced the best students. His students became great scholars. A little bit about Imam Bukhari's character and his qualities. First and foremost, of course, his remarkable memory. We discussed that a little bit. Secondly, we learn about Imam Bukhari. He slept very little in the night. كَانُوا قَلِيلًا مِّنَ اللَّيْلِ مَا يَهْجَعُونَ We learn Muhammad ibn Abi Hatim al-Warraq said, when I would travel in the company of Imam Bukhari, we would stay under the roof of the same house. Except sometimes, when it was very hot, we would sleep outside. And he said, I would see him get up up to 15 times during the same night. So he said, now everybody's sleeping. And he said, I'm not sleeping in the other room or somewhere far away. No, in the same area. And in one night, I would see him wake up 15 times. And what would he do? He would get up, light a lamp, and write down something. And then put the lamp out and then go back to sleep. And then after some time, wake up again, turn on the lamp, write something now, and then go back to sleep. So it's as if when he's sleeping also, he's not really sleeping. He's thinking, reviewing, remembering, contemplating. So much so that he has to get up, turn the light on and write something down. What do we do if we ever wake up in the night because of our worries and our stresses and whatnot? What do we do? What is it that we reach out for? The phone. And what do we do on the phone? What do we read? Seriously. Imam Bukhari would do his work himself. I imagine... When he's a teacher, he must have been such a great teacher. 
and students would long to be in his company and that would mean also traveling with him and one of the ways in which people would find the company of the scholar is that they would say i'll come along with you you need any help i'll help you and then you know they would learn from their teacher so muhammad ibn abi hatim you know he was once traveling with imam bukhari and the reason why he accompanied him was so that he could learn from him all right and part of the understanding was that muhammad ibn abi hatim would serve imam bukhari so anyway Imam Bukhari would get up in the night, perform his wudu, you know, begin his prayers, eat his sahur if he had to, light his lamp himself, everything he would do himself. So Muhammad ibn Abi Hatim asked him that, why didn't you wake me up? You know, I'm here to serve you. Why didn't you wake me up? And Imam Bukhari said to him, you're a young man, and I didn't want to disturb your sleep. You're a young man, you need to sleep. So yes, you are here to serve me, but I don't want your sleep to get disturbed. So don't worry about me. I can take care of myself. Look at his humility. Somebody is begging to serve him. Yet he says, I'll do it myself. You're a young man. You need to sleep. Then we learn about his simplicity in food also. Imam Bukhari, at one point he fell ill. And some of the doctors, they came to to see him and they said that you know when they checked him they said it seems like you don't eat any soup it seems like you don't eat any soup and he said i haven't had any since the past 40 years i don't eat soup i don't eat gravy i don't eat salan you know salan like the gravy you know like when you have the curry exactly curry and curry it takes time to cook curry right otherwise it's very watery isn't it so you have to you know let it simmer for a long time and you need spices and different things in order to put a nice curry together he said i haven't had curry in 40 years 40 years he didn't have it why because instead of learning how to cook he learned hadith instead of figuring out how to make that soup which mom used to make he figured out how to compile hadith and so he didn't live for himself he lived for the deen and this is why today we benefit from the knowledge that he preserved for us he was simple in his food very respectful of the masjid because the gatherings of hadith many times they would take place in the masjid so we learned that at one occasion imam bukhari he is teaching and a man sitting nearby he reached out and he took out a splinter from Imam Bukhari's beard it happens you know where it's dusty windy so things get stuck in your hair grass and things like that right and they didn't have pocket mirrors and even if they did Imam Bukhari was not the type to carry around a pocket mirror so that he could see how he was looking anyway the man reached out you know just removed the splinter or that grass whatever it was and just threw it in the masjid you know just threw it right there It's like you know if you see somebody's hijab and there's a hair sticking out you're like oh let me just remove it throw it that's what the man did Imam Bukhari is teaching and the person narrating this incident says that I'm looking at Imam Bukhari he is Imam Bukhari is constantly looking at the people teaching and as soon as he noticed that the people weren't really paying attention to him he picked up that splinter and hid it in his sleeve and then the narrator he said I watched him I wanted to see what he would do. So when Imam Bukhari left the masjid, 
Then he threw that splinter. He got rid of it. He didn't want to dirty the masjid. We all sit in the masjid to study. Please let us pay attention to this also. When we get up, is there anything we're leaving behind? Maybe we sharpened our pencil? Or maybe we used a tissue? Or maybe we had to tear a paper out? Or, you know, something? Maybe something fell out of our bag? Is there something we're leaving behind in the masjid? Because you learn, you retain with adab. If you show respect, then knowledge will stay with you. It will stay with you. And if we don't, then it will depart. Imam Bukhari was very careful when he came to criticizing narrators of hadith. So for example, there were some people who were known for lying or forging or, or their weak memory. But Imam Bukhari never used harsh words. He's a liar. No, no, no. He, he would never use harsh words. He would say things like, that person is to be avoided. That person's hadith is to be avoided. Simple. Not, he has been accused of lying, he's a kathab. No, no big words. Very careful in his speech. He was very careful with respect to other people's honor, so he would never backbite. He would hold himself accountable. He guarded his character, and he made many sacrifices. He was also an excellent archer. He was an excellent archer. And this is something that you don't see in the scholars, you know even in the past, that they were excellent archers or they had that skill or that skill. Imam Bukhari was an archer. Why would he practice archery? Because the Prophet ﷺ encouraged us. And it is said that he was such an expert that he would never miss a target. Never. And he was also a devout worshiper. Where he learned a lot, he also worshipped a lot. Imam Bukhari wrote many books. A little bit more about Imam Bukhari, which inshallah we will discuss in our next class. Inshallah, your homework for today. We didn't begin the study of hadith as of yet. Your homework then would be to make sure that you have all the notes from today. So if you've missed out anything, make sure that you access the PowerPoint from the website, from the portal. And inshallah you can complete your notes from there. And one more thing. One more thing. I want you to Google Bukhara. Okay? And I want you to find a map and all the places that I mentioned in our class today. I want you to identify those places. Where exactly are these places? So that you can appreciate his travels. You can appreciate his sacrifice, his striving. Okay? So complete your notes and also... Also what else? The map, inshallah. Subhanakallahumma bihamdik, ashadu wa la ilaha illa anta, astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu.